now, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles um, in these black chair pockets on the ends of the aisles. Feel free to borrow that. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Um, We're turning to Acts, chapter 15. Acts is in the New Testament of the Bible, so towards the back, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, we're turning to Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, which will also be on the screen behind me. Please follow along with me as I read. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men, And send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood 
and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you are not a God who is silent. You are not a God who conceals himself. You're a God who wants to be known. You're a God who, who wants us to know the truth and you speak. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that when we read it and when we study and when we teach it, that you speak, that you are the one who is talking to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak this morning and that you would help us to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you know, but many of you may not, that Pastor Ryan and I actually knew each other before it was even a possibility for me to move down here and become one of the pastors on staff. In fact, Ryan and Katie have known my wife Kim for 13 years. Um, when, when my wife was in high school in the States outside Chicago, Ryan was her youth pastor. And Katie and Ryan were such a significant part of Kim's life that um, when we got married, the first year we were married, Kim and I took a vacation to Cayman so I could meet Katie and Ryan. And so, um, so we, and so we could get out of the winter in Chicago. So, um, so I, I love a good deal. So I got online. I was searching through hotels, found a place that was on the beach. It was this wonderful, reasonable nightly rate. And so booked it, felt great about it, got down here, and we were disappointed to say the least. Now, I won't tell you which hotel it was, but it was not actually on the beach as it claimed. And the air conditioning didn't work. The toilet didn't flush. We had to clean up all of our food as soon as we were done with it. Otherwise, it would be overrun with ants. It was too good to be true. It was too good to be true, but in the scheme of things, it really, it really didn't cost us that much. But what if the stakes were higher? What if, what if we'd put all our hope for eternal life into something that turned out to be too good to be true? It's this possibility that hangs over this passage in the book of Acts, that hangs over Acts chapter 15. Now, you might remember that earlier in the book, there was a persecutor of the church named Saul or Paul. And he met Jesus, his life was changed, he became a preacher of the good news about him. And Paul settled in a city called Antioch, which is in Syria. And in Antioch, there was a church growing full of Gentiles, people that had never, they weren't born Jewish, they'd never converted to Judaism, they went right from being pagans to trusting Jesus and being Christians. There was this Gentile church in Antioch, and Paul was there with another guy whose name was Barnabas. And God called Paul and Barnabas to leave Antioch, to get on a boat, and to go on a preaching tour of some other places, what we call Paul's first missionary journey. So they went kind of town to town, preaching to Jews and Gentiles about Jesus. And the essential message they were preaching was that anyone can be forgiven of their sins, their disobedience to God, making something other than God more important to them. They can be forgiven through trusting in Jesus. This is how Paul says it in chapter 13, verses 38 to 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, And by him, everyone who believes, who trusts in Jesus, is freed from everything by which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he was saying to the Jews, you guys have the law. You know what God requires of you, and you all know that you've broken it. You haven't lived up to what it calls you to. 
and keeping the rules more and more is not going to make up for the fact that you've disobeyed God and you've sinned. But you can be forgiven, not through the law, but through trusting in Jesus. And he said to the Gentiles, and this is for you too, even though you've, you've never read the Bible, you've never been to synagogue, you have no background with Judaism, you have sinned against God, and you can be forgiven through trusting in Jesus. You just need to trust in Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas were going town to town, preaching about Jesus. They were making disciples, starting churches, and when they finished what they set out to do, they came home to Antioch. And that's where the trouble begins that we see in our passage. So what we want to know is, can we really be forgiven simply through trusting in Jesus? That's the question they're asking. We don't need to do anything else? That sounds too good to be true. So let's look at the passage this morning to see the danger, the truth, and the application. You've got an outline on the back of your bulletin as well. So first, the danger. The danger, looking to anything other than Jesus to save us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea, And they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were saying to these Gentile Christians in Antioch, it is not enough to trust in Jesus. It's good to trust in Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus, but it's not enough. You also have to become Jewish. So circumcision was the, it was like the conversion rite, the physical mark of conversion to Judaism for men. They were saying you have to become Jewish and not just become Jewish. Look at verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They have to keep the whole law in order to be full members of the church, in order to be saved. Now, Paul had just gotten back from this missionary journey where he was telling people, thousands of people, all you need to do is trust in Jesus. And so you can imagine Paul had something to say about what these guys were saying. You can see in verse 2, it says in a really understated way, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, right? There was a theological brawl in Antioch. And it wasn't, it wasn't that Paul disagreed with them, that it was important to obey God, right? If you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, they're full of counsel about how to honor God with your words by being honest and kind, and how to honor God with your bodies sexually, how to honor God in your marriage and in your parenting and your work, Paul was for Christians obeying God. He was against Christians thinking that their obedience contributed to their salvation, that their obedience made them right with God. And he was against this teaching that Gentiles had to become Jewish in order to be Christians. And there's a danger here for us, too. We can, we can put up barriers to new believers in Jesus being fully accepted into our community by, by asking them not, not just to put their trust in Jesus, but to put their trust in Jesus and become like us. Churches are always adding things to faith as a basis for full acceptance. Like, um, you, you have to trust in Jesus and you have to dress a certain way. You have to trust in Jesus and you have to vote a certain way. You have to trust in Jesus and you have to speak in tongues. You have to trust in Jesus and have big families. And you can't watch PG movies and you can never touch alcohol. We always have these extra rules, and if, if someone doesn't live up to the extra rules, they're not really family. They're not fully accepted. And that's a real danger because it makes something other than Jesus 
the basis of our unity. We're not a family anymore because we all trust Jesus. We're a family because we all trust Jesus and we all do this other thing. And if you don't do this other thing, you're not really a part of what we're doing. We're not with you. So this, this endangers the unity of the church, but it also endangers something even more important. When we, add, when we add anything to faith as the grounds by which we're accepted by God, we lose the gospel. We lose the good news. The gospel says that Jesus has accomplished salvation, that we receive it by trusting in him, not by what we do. But if salvation comes by faith and my performance— then I'm not trusting Jesus alone. I'm trusting Jesus and I'm trusting myself. And that makes it impossible to rest in God's love. So my, my son Joshua and I are taking swim lessons. Well, he's taking swim lessons. I know how to swim. I'm with him in the pool. And uh, we, we went yesterday after being away for a week, so it wasn't entirely familiar to him. And as soon as we got in the water, his arms just locked around my neck. And he would not let go. So we sang our hello song. He's supposed to clap. He cannot clap because his arms are like this around my neck. We, we did our kicking exercise. He's supposed to grab tennis balls in the water. He can't do that because his arms are wrapped around my neck. He would not let me go. So he couldn't enjoy the lesson. And he couldn't do what he was there to do because he was putting all his energy into not losing his grip on me. And what he didn't realize was that I wasn't going to let go of him. He didn't have to hang on to me. He didn't have to work to stay with me. I was going to take care of that. And that, knowing that, trusting that, would have freed him up to enjoy himself and to do what he was there to do. And that's what happens when we think that our salvation rests on faith and obeying. We, we put all our energy into trying to commend ourselves to God, trying to be good enough, when God, through Christ, would just hold us. He would accept us by faith. And, and if we think that our obedience is part of how we're saved, then at the very least we'll have no assurance because we'll never know that we're good enough. And at worst, we may not even be a Christian because we're trusting in ourselves and not in Jesus. So that's the danger. If these teachers are right, if we have to keep the law and trust in Jesus, then Christianity really is too good to be true. So Paul and Barnabas had this, this debate with them, and then they went up to Jerusalem to ask the apostles to have a council to get to the bottom of this. So let's see how the apostles respond. Secondly, the truth. Salvation is by faith through grace for everyone. Luke tells us in verse 7 that there was much debate. This question went to the heart of Christianity. It wasn't something they could just settle in five minutes. But they did reach a conclusion, and the decisive arguments, which Luke has recorded here for all time, are those of Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, and James. So let's see how Peter responds to this. Look at verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter wants to remind them of something that they, they should have never forgotten, something that happened years earlier, but that we talked about just a few weeks ago. There was a time years before that Peter had a vision, and Jesus called him in a vision to go preach the good news about him to a Gentile family, a guy named Cornelius and his household. So Peter went, he taught them about Jesus, and as he was teaching, they trusted in Jesus, and the Spirit came upon them, and they were born again. They were saved through faith. 
It had nothing to do with being circumcised. had nothing to do with keeping the commandments. They heard the gospel and believed. And Peter says here, I love this, he says, He made no distinction between us and them, verse 9, having cleansed their hearts by faith. He cleansed their hearts. He washed their sins away. He made them new through trusting in Jesus. So why would we add anything to faith? Look what he says in verse 10. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? A yoke is it's a wooden beam that goes on the neck of an ox or, an, or oxen if you have more than one. And it's how they would you know, hitch them up to pull a cart or to pull a plow. It was a burden. Now, the law is a good thing. The law is God's word. It's how God teaches us about himself. It's a good thing. But Peter says that if we look to God's rules as a way of being saved, it becomes an unbearable burden. It becomes a yoke. The law was never meant to show us how to be saved. It was never meant to save us. The law was meant to show us that we need to be saved by someone else. God gave us the law to show us how impossible it is for sinners to live up to God's standard. Because we, we can't love God with all our hearts, as it tells us we should do. We can't love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. None of us has made it to adulthood without lying. None of us has made it to adulthood without coveting. We've all fallen short. So the law was meant to show us that we need salvation to come from somewhere else. We can't do it on our own. To make us feel deeply that we need to be saved. So look what Peter says in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will, by faith through grace of the Lord Jesus. We weren't made to save ourselves. We were made to save, be saved by Jesus. The law was supposed to get us ready for Jesus. We could never keep God's law. We can't even live up to our own conscience. And the law teaches us that, that anyone who breaks the law is under God's curse, deserves God's curse. This is all of us, right? But Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Jesus lived the only righteous life in history. He did everything right. So Jesus deserved God's blessing alone. But what the Bible tells us is that on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, that God counted him, who was perfect, a sinner, and he took the curse. And then anyone who trusts in him, God counts righteous, and we get the blessing. Jesus died under God's curse so we could have God's blessing by trusting him. Jesus was righteous. We were lawbreakers. But Jesus died as a lawbreaker so we could be counted righteous. That is how it works. That's the good news. The Bible says we're saved by grace. It's a gift. Jesus did it all. So we weren't, we weren't saved. And, and Peter tells them this. He says, you guys know, even we Jews, we weren't saved by keeping the law. It was, a, it was a yoke we couldn't bear. We were saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, and that's how they're saved too, through trusting in Jesus. So I hope, I hope you're hearing me this morning, because this passage may be answering a question you've had your entire life, which is, what does it take to be acceptable to God? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? How can, how can I know that I'm good enough? And the Bible's answer is that we can never do enough. We can never be good enough to be acceptable to God, but Jesus has. And if we trust in him, we get his record applied to us. We are accepted by God. The only way to come to God is through trusting in Jesus. And when you do that, everything Jesus deserves comes to you. 
a perfect record of righteousness, adoption as God's son or daughter, God's own spirit living in your heart so you can be with him forever. You never lose his love. It comes not through keeping the rules, but through trusting in the son. So Peter nailed it, right? Peter nailed it. Nobody else needed to talk, but but Barnabas and Paul and James wanted to get up there too and just lend their voices and say, that's it, that's it. That's exactly what we would say. We're with that. So Peter, Paul and Barnabas get up, and they just kind of tell the story of their missionary journey. They tell about going city to city, Gentiles trusting in Jesus, God doing signs and wonders that showed he was with them, that he was blessing their ministry. And then James stood up. James was the brother of Jesus, and he was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And James underlined what, what Peter said by, by showing that this thing, this Gentiles accepted through faith in Jesus, not through keeping the law, is what they should have expected if they were reading their Bible carefully. So look at verse 13. After they, Barnabas and Paul, finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, which is another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. So this quote comes from the book of, the Old Testament book of Amos, written 800 years earlier. And what Amos says is that someday in the future, God is going to, he says, rebuild the tent of David, which means raise up a king in David's family, the Messiah. And when This king comes, when the Messiah comes, he says that the Gentiles, the rest of the world, will come to God through him. Not through Moses, not through the law, but through David, through the king, through Jesus. Jesus is how we come to God. So if you you get this, if you get this this morning, you will have understood the most important news in the history of the world. Salvation is by faith, through trusting Jesus. It's through grace. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn by keeping rules. It's a gift we receive through trusting the giver. It's, not, it's, it's a rescue line to grab. It's not a ladder to climb. Are you tracking me? It's something God gives and you receive. So you don't need to grow up in church. You don't need to make all the right choices You might have broken every rule you know. You might have disappointed every person who cares about you. And you can be accepted by God this morning through trusting in Jesus alone. Salvation is by faith through grace for everyone. That's the truth of the passage. So now how did the council apply it? How did they tell the the Gentile Christians how to live it out? Let's look finally at the application. Everyone who trusts Jesus is family— And family members flex for one another. So James has a recommendation to tell these Christians. Like, all these churches are waiting with bated breath to know what's going to come out of the council in Jerusalem. Was it too good to be true? Do we have life through faith? And James says, here's what we should tell them. This is his recommendation, and it might catch you a little off guard. Look at verse 19. Therefore, this is James speaking, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. 
For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So James has just said, yes, salvation is by faith. It's through trusting in Jesus. There's nothing you need to do to earn it. And then he says, okay, now let's write them a letter and give them some rules. And it, it just it t- it takes, you, it takes you a little off guard. Like, why, why rules? Why didn't he just say, this is what we decided. It's by faith. Just don't do anything. Just, just you're fine. Trust in Jesus. That's fine. We'll take it from here. That's not what he says. He says, I've got some food rules for you. So don't eat anything that's been sacrificed to idols, anything that comes from an animal that was killed by strangling, nothing that, you know, the animal was cooked with its blood still in it. Don't eat any of those things. And then he says, and abstain from sexual immorality. So what's, what's going on here? Here's what's happening. James isn't now thinking of what the Gentiles need to do in order to become Christians. He's not saying, this is how you become part of the family. He's saying, this is what it means to love the family. This is what it means to live in unity with these other Christians. So the church was undergoing a revolution, right? All the first people who trusted in Jesus were Jews. And they came into the church with the same background, right? They were raised eating the same things, wearing the same things, not eating certain things, not wearing certain things. They were raised keeping certain rhythms like the Passover and the Sabbath. They, they had their culture. They had their way of living, and it was deeply rooted and, and from God. It was really important to them. Um, you, you might be able to write this a little bit if, like, if you grew up in a really conservative church wearing like full suit or a formal dress, big hat, on Sundays, and you know that like how you dress and the hat, it doesn't commend you to God at all. It has nothing to do with you being saved, but it still feels a little weird to wear shorts to church. That's just like a, a hint of what it was like for these Jews to come into the church. And James and the apostles wanted to see the church fully unified. They wanted to see Gentiles and Jews at a table together, sharing a meal, talking about Christ, growing together as one church. And so they said to the Gentiles, even though it doesn't matter what you eat. You need to flex a little bit for your family to avoid giving them undue offense. Just don't eat these things so you can be part of one body with these people. It doesn't save you. doesn't make you any better in God's sight, but just do it for the family. Do it out of love. So the, and there's a place for that in our community at Sunrise, too, because this is an incredibly diverse church. So many different backgrounds here, right? Some of you were raised in churches where nobody touched a drip of alcohol, you know, except in private, right? Um, just when it was a secret. Um, some, of you, some of you were not raised Christian, and nothing seems more natural to you than to get your buddies together and go get a beer and talk about the Lord. And that's wonderful for you, but we just need to be careful with the way we handle alcohol as a church that we do, it, do what's good for everybody, Right? That when we're together, if people have different convictions, we flex a little bit to love the body. Right? Some of you come out of churches where spiritual gifts like um, prophecy, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues, that was a part of every church service. And some of you come out of churches where that, people think that doesn't exist. And if you're doing it, you have a demon. Right? It's, that's really different. And so we have to be careful with the way we exercise those gifts as a church to love one another, to flex for the family. The principle is love. Everyone who trusts in Jesus is family. We're family through faith, but family members flex for each other. We show love to one another. 
And then James tells them to abstain for one more thing, which is different. He gives them three things not to eat, and he says, oh, and abstain from sexual immorality, which is this blanket word in the Bible, which basically means taking anything that belongs in a marriage between a husband and wife and putting it somewhere else in another kind of relationship. And he says, and abstain from that too. And it's probably because he knows that, you know, these Jews, they've grown up with these laws about, about sex and marriage and all these things. They, they kind of know the background of these Gentiles don't. It's a big part of their culture that's different. And he's saying, you should be doing this anyway, but I just want to emphasize something. If you, if you abstain from sexual immorality, that will really go a long way towards unifying the church. Does that make sense? You, you should be doing it anyway, but I just want to say it another time so we can build one church together. So the council writes these things in a letter. They send it off with Paul and Barnabas and a few others to the Gentile Christians. They spread the letter, and that's the story. So what does this mean for us? In a nutshell, salvation requires nothing more than faith in Jesus, but it shows itself in loving unity. Salvation requires nothing more than faith in Jesus, but shows itself in loving unity. So trying to earn your salvation, trying to be good enough, trying to keep the rules is a yoke we can't bear, and we're never meant to. Salvation comes by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift we receive by faith. And I'm guessing there are some people here who have never experienced deep assurance of God's love and acceptance. You've, you've never dared believe that really faith is all that re- is required, and you think there must be some level of obedience, some level of keeping the rules above which you're good. God loves you and accepts you, and below which you just, you missed the cut. But you don't know where that level is, and so you're always trying to work a little harder, earn a little more, get a little better, and you can get off that treadmill now. Because salvation is is through faith. It's through trusting in Jesus. It's a gift. Jesus did it all, and all that's left for you is to receive the gift through trusting. And the Christian life is a life of freedom. We don't have to pay God off. We don't have to pay God back. Nothing we do can make him love us more or love us less. It's a life of freedom, but it's not the freedom that the world prizes. It's not the freedom that's the aspiration of, like, the people you see on TV, the people you work with. Because the world thinks the highest freedom is to be your own boss, to do what you want, to live a life of self-indulgence. And that's not real freedom. That's just another kind of slavery. It's slavery to your desires, slavery to what you want. The highest freedom is to live the life you were made for, which is the life of love, love to God and love to each other. And this is the freedom that we have through faith in Christ. We We can obey God, not to contribute to our salvation, but just to adore him who sent Jesus to die for us. And we can love one another, serve one another, flex for one another, not to earn our salvation, but to spread the love we've received from God. And if we really believe this, what kind of church will we be? We'll be a church that practices catch and release. So we want to see God catch people with the good news about grace. We want to share this message freely because it's not for any one kind of people, right? It's not for Jews and Gentile, Jews or Gentiles. It's not for Caymanians or expats. It's not for people with a certain skin color or from a certain neighborhood or a certain country, certain socioeconomic class. It's for everyone. This good news is for everyone. And it's given to all who come to Jesus through faith. And that's what we want to be about. And when, when we share that message and God catches someone, 
We don't want to then trap them in a bunch of rules, things now you have to do to get God to keep loving you. Then we want to release them from that, to know that they're free through faith, they belong to God, and now they can live in love to him and to each other. So Jesus gave his body and blood for this, for this freedom. He gave it for our sins so we could be forgiven and our hearts could be cleansed. And we're going to have lots of different ways to celebrate that this morning. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a little bit. We're going to sing and celebrate it. Um, But right now, I want us to respond to that gift through prayer. So will you bow your heads with me? Father, we give you you thanks. We give you such thanks that, um, that you have saved us when we could never save ourselves, Father, that um, though we are sinners, that we've fallen short, you love us. And you love us so much, you sent Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, you willingly came to take all of the punishment we deserve so we could have your righteousness, we could have adoption as children so that we could belong to God forever. And so we, th- we say thank you. And we ask that you would help us, God, not to get, not to get caught up in rules because we think that it's going to make us more acceptable to you. God, we want to obey. We want to love you. We want to live the way you've called us to, but not to earn salvation as a, as a response of love and gratitude and faith. So, Father, please, please set us free this morning. Help us to worship in the freedom of belonging to you through grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.